and welcome into another episode of Running for the Roses here on a Thursday night in February. Ryan Battle Lucas, joined by Lucas Rohde from Nashville, Tennessee. Lucas, how's uh, how's life in the South, Midwest? What do we officially call Nashville? South? It's the South. It's the South. Okay. I, I, I consider once you hit Kentucky, you're, okay. you're in the South. Everything North is in the Midwest. Everything South is so... Uh, uh yeah, so we're in the south, but we're not we're not in the deep south. But uh definitely in the south. But it's good. I mean it's been uh cold and rainy. We're kind of getting the, the offshoots of that that winter storm. Luckily we're not supposed to get any snow, but uh no, not uh uh that being said, uh can't ask for better weather to record a podcast. So Yeah, it's uh sixties it was uh, a brisk fifty nine today in Arizona. Brisk. So definitely, uh, <laughs> definitely podcast weather. <laughs> All right, so uh, you know, typically the first Wednesday in February has always been National Signing Day, and with the December signing period, that kind of have, has lost its luster. But I, I felt, you know, watching some of the coverage yesterday, that there was a good amount of impactful players and some impactful storylines. So we're going to get there. We're going to talk a little Jim Harbaugh staying at Michigan after flirting with the NFL, and then uh, we'll start though. We'll we'll finish with our two twenty twenty two college football coaches on the hot seat draft. Lucas and I are going to pick coaches who are on the hot seat this year and try to build out the best team we can. Mm-hmm. Before we get to that, we got to start with uh, probably the big news, the biggest news of, of college football. I think it broke on Monday, Caleb Williams uh, announcing his transfer to USC, a move that was kind of the front runner for most of the time. I know there was some flirtation with LSU. There was some flirtation with UCLA and, and as Lucas uh, will probably talk about here, there was some flirtation with Wisconsin, but he ends up <laughs> at USC with Lincoln Riley. Um, Lucas, I'll, I'll kind of turn things over to you. Your thoughts on what might be the most impactful transfer in the 2022 cycle, choosing the Trojans. Yeah, it was honestly like the, the recruitment was way more dramatic than I think everybody thought it was. I think once Lincoln took the job and Caleb went in the transfer portal, everyone kind of connected the dots. We all know that he most likely went to Oklahoma to play for Lincoln Riley, and now he's out West. Just the way Lincoln's recruited, they should have a good amount of offensive weapons out there. Um, It just made too much sense. Yes, I was a little hurt because for like two seconds, I thought there was like about a 1% chance that uh, Wisconsin might be able to get him. Um, But all in all, I mean, it made way too much sense, and Look, I don't know if USC is going to be a playoff contender next year, but they're going to be a hell of a lot more entertaining than they've been over the last few years. Um, And I think that the hype level in that program is the highest it's been probably since Pete Carroll had it there. Yeah, I I think it was something that we had all kind of thought was going to happen. Um, When he announced his transfer, I think most people thought he was going to follow Lincoln Riley. Um, I was just looking up 24-7 sports. USC has the number one class from the transfer portal. They have 13 commits from the transfer portal for 2022. And and I think that's something that we're going to see quite often is, is new coaches coming in and revamping the roster. You know, you look at LSU as third. They have 12 commits. Oklahoma has 10 commits. So, mm-hmm. like – you don't have three years to put your kind of stamp on the program. Like yeah. you don't have a couple of years to get your guy in there. You kind of bring your guy from your other place. And I think that's a trend that we'll see. 
certainly Caleb Williams, like it's a facelift for the Pac-12. Um, the Pac-12 is a better conference when USC is good. And as an ASU fan and as an ASU alum, that hurts to say. Um, ASU probably lost their window um, mm-hmm. because USC is going to be really good next year. I, I don't know <laughs> if they're, you know, 11-1, 12-0, good. Um, yeah. But with Caleb Williams, with a bevy of transfers, um, with guys like Damani Jackson, the number five player in the country from the high school ranks who committed there, like they're going to be pretty good. And in the Pac-12 South where, you know, U of A probably isn't there yet, Colorado, you know, I don't know if UCLA or ASU are going to contend next year. Really, it's just them in Utah. So yeah, um, I think certainly Lincoln Riley has a chance to, to kind of put his foot down and, and get to work early and potentially win the Pac-12 South at least in his first year. And, and this certainly helps. And I think it's a, it's a perfect timing, too, because on the other side of the Pac-12, you have Washington and Oregon, who are both going through some sort of transition right now with first year or first time head coaches at those programs. So it, it's going to be interesting to see what the Pac-12 looks like next year. But as you said, yeah, USC needs to be good for the Pac-12 to be fully relevant again. So I think all in all, it's a win-win if you're in the Pac-12 conference, as much as that might pain you as, a, as an ASU fan. Right. So, you know, the other big news, obviously, yesterday, National Signing Day. Um, but the news that kind of preempted that, or at least was in addition to that, Jim Harbaugh staying at Michigan. Um, some flirtations with the Minnesota Vikings. Um, there was some discussion maybe he takes the Miami Dolphins job because mm-hmm. their owner is a big-time Michigan alum, big-time Michigan donor. Um, and he ends up staying at Michigan, Lucas, that's your part of the country, kind of big 10 territory. What are your thoughts on Jim Harbaugh one foot out the door coming back to Michigan? I was surprised. Um, not solely surprised. He was looking at the NFL. I was surprised he was looking at the Vikings job. You know, I think we heard you obviously mentioned that the Dolphins sounded like a logical fit. The Raiders apparently wanted to make a really big play at, at him. Uh, and from what it sounds like from, from at least stories I've read, he thought he was interviewing because he was their number one choice. He thought he was interviewing basically to just finalize a deal. I guess that was not the case. They were just interviewing him as one of a few final candidates that they had. And that kind of changed his mind. If he knew he wasn't a shoe in for that job, he just went back uh, to Michigan. I, I am interested to see if this is his final flirtation with the NFL. Um, if this was maybe he was like, hey, my stock is maybe as high as it's ever been. I just got Michigan to the playoff. We won the Big Ten. I don't know if that's going to happen <laughs> for for a little bit, considering it took him seven years to do it. But, uh, I mean, if, if you're a Michigan fan, I think you're relieved. One, because he's been the best head coach they have had probably since Lloyd Carr. And also, too, you're, you're not having to look for a head coach in at the beginning of February um, when most of the best candidates have already taken other jobs. So uh, I'm happy as a Big Ten guy because, once again, kind of like USC's the Pac-12, when Michigan, Ohio State, those programs are good, the Big Ten is in, uh, is in good shoes. So, yeah, I'm, I, I think I was a little bit interested. I thought he was going to go. Um, now I'm just interested if this is going to be a yearly thing that we do with Harbaugh if they're successful. Yeah, it was a very like Jim Harbaugh like rationale for when that job fell apart. Like you totally mm-hmm. see Jim Harbaugh being like, all right, 
you know, I'm going to get this job. And the Vikings are like, hang on, like you're, you're, you know, we've got some other candidates. And then Jim, you know, cause that was the shtick in San Francisco was he was very yeah. successful. He's just hard. It was hard, hard to work for. And, mm-hmm. and that ended up kind of costing him his job and, and sending him back to college. The rationale he gave for wanting to leave or not he gave, but what the reporting was, was he wants to win a Super Bowl. Like he want, like that's his dream. His dream is to win a Super Bowl. He got really close to San Francisco and it's it's not that he dislikes a college game, but that's his drive. And if that's true, like that doesn't go away, you know. Yeah. Like you don't just stop wanting to win a Super Bowl. So you know, who knows if if a job comes open? Let's say just first off the top of my head, let's say the Ravens come open, and he can work with Lamar Jackson, or you know, you get a chance to kind of take over an established team. That could be appealing. Um, there was also reports I saw from the Athletic that. Jim Harbaugh was offered a contract extension in January and wasn't thrilled with the numbers <laughs> and potentially like use this as a way to either, you know, get back at Michigan as a way to remind them, Hey, I have options or, yeah. you know, the NFL is always there. You better keep me happy. I just got you guys at the playoff kind of a thing. Um, which, you know, listen, all of these flirtations, uh, that's the bottom line is money. And, yeah. and I don't know if it was the sole reason that Harbaugh was interviewing to try to get some more money out of Michigan or maybe for a, a future contract. But, you know, how many coaches do we see get paid this year because of the LSU job? Mm-hmm. You know, James Franklin, Mel Tucker, like everyone got paid. I mean, Lincoln Riley to an extent, like right? yeah. going USC, like um, this is the game in college football is if you're wanted, like you have a lot of leverage against your school and mm-hmm. we'll see if it comes up again. Yeah. You know, there's always a better job. Uh, apparently, but uh, no, yeah, I mean, it was um, it was interesting because you mentioned like a higher pay. I mean, remember last year at this time, you know, Harbaugh had to take a pay cut almost to save his job at Michigan, and I can see why. Where he's like, "Hey, I got us the biggest height we've been as a program in you know two decades. Uh, I think it's time to show me some love." So I'll be interested to see this year after year after year. Um, but uh, hey, if you got leverage, you might as well use it. I can't blame them. For sure. So, you know, moving on, National Signing Day, the recruiting class for 2022 wraps up yesterday. Texas A&M, the Aggies, finished the season with the number one recruiting class in the country. Alabama is two. Georgia, three. Ohio State, four. Texas, five. And then Penn State, Notre Dame, Oklahoma, Michigan, and North Carolina round out the top ten. Lucas, there was some there was some interesting like this was the first recruiting class with NIL, and Jimbo came out and was uh, had some quotes in response to what Lane Kiffin said, basically saying that Texas A and M is playing in a different league and that there may need to be a salary cap for what you can give in terms of NIL to recruits. Jimbo came out and said, "No, you know." you're discrediting our student athletes and our coaches. This was about relationships. This was about the hard work of our staff. And that was kind of interesting. And um, regardless, Texas A&M signed seven five-star players in this class. I think that is (laughs) the most combined that Jimbo has signed previous. Um, What were your kind of takeaways maybe from the A&M stuff or kind of anything on signing day that you want to jump into? Uh, One, it's just, Jimbo Fisher's entertaining, but how many times do we have to listen to these college coaches just BS through their teeth? I get that's kind of part of the job, but uh, you know, I hear him complaining because I, 
I understand where Lane Kiffin's coming from, but my thing is also, too, uh, I don't believe you can legislate a salary cap in football because basically that would be, I think the NCAA would get sent to court or somebody would because because of the new legislation, you cannot cap what these players make. Um, but, you know, seven, like you mentioned, I think you had, you had sent me a tweet earlier today. It was like Jimbo the last three years, I think, has gotten a total of five uh, five stars to go to Texas A&M. And then this year he gets seven has the highest rated recruiting class in the history of recruiting rankings, according to 24 seven. And what has changed? I mean, they went what eight and four this past year. It wasn't like they were competing for a national title. They really haven't done that. Uh, in maybe once the past 20 years. And yet now they're all, now they're signing all these guys. I know Jimbo and his staff, they're hungry recruiters. But there was something else that was pulling their strings. I mean, there was rumors that they have this, what, $30 million NIL pool uh, to give to players that they gave this recruiting class. Um, and I think we're seeing I mean, we're seeing it everywhere with Alabama and Georgia. You know, Nick Saban came out and said, we need to legislate this stuff. And you know, sure as hell that he's also taking advantage of it. I mean, Bryce Young last year had a $1 million contract before even taking a snap for Alabama. So. I think we're seeing it. I think if you're not taking advantage of NIL and you're a power program, you are going to get left in the dust because this is just what it is. And it's crazy right now because there's never been a market before for these players. And now we're seeing what the market is. And there's, I'm sure in a few years, there's going to be some regression to the mean. People are going to get smarter about the type of deals they're doing. But right now, I mean, it's, it's the wild, wild west. Yeah, like for those who kind of don't follow a ton, the reports were that A&M for their really high profile recruits were handing out six figure per year deals through NIL, which essentially means that they facilitate a deal with local businesses to pay a five star player $100,000 every year they're on the roster, yep. something like that. Um, and that's where the $30 million comes from because they signed 29 players in the class. I get where Jimbo's coming from because if if he comes out and admits this, like if he comes out and says, you know, I just want to thank a lot of the local businesses around. <laughs> no, but like, but like seriously, yeah, like if yeah. he comes out yeah, and says yeah. like, yeah. we had an aggressive alumni group, an aggressive booster group that really like was able to change some young men's lives and like sign them up to play football with us. Think of what that does. Like it kind of delegitimizes his staff. Like it delegitimizes going on the road and scouting, going on the road, like, if this is going to come down to money in these high profile recruitments, like why are these coaches on the road in January and December? Like, why are they yeah. going out in the spring and scouting? Just like at the, if it's just going to come down to who has the most money or whatever package is best, which it probably will for a lot of whole, for a lot of high profile recruits. If I'm a coach, I'm like, yeah, we're not going to send our guys. Like we're not going to, I'm like, I'm going to have them home with their families. Like we're going to yeah. focus more on, on game planning. Like we're going to focus more week to week. Like we're going to do less recruiting during the week. Cause it's not about relationships. Like I kept seeing, I was watching the, um, the 24 seven show yesterday and you know, they would have these commitments and it was always about relationships and oh, you know, I feel comfortable there and I love the staff. It's like, and meanwhile, there's like reports on these message boards of like, yeah, this kid's getting 75 K this kid turned down hundred K from this school to get 125 here. It's like, it's not about fit anymore. It's about what, no. and it's like, that's great. Like, I don't have any problem with it. That's fine. But like, 
it would be nice if the charade would just stop. It would be nice if like Jimbo could come out and say, you know, we were really organized with NIL. We were really organized with our local booster community and we were able to facilitate deals to get really good players here. Boom. Yeah. That's it. Wipe your hand of it. Yeah. And if Ole Miss wants to do that next year, Ole Miss can do that. It's got to have, got to have the cash. Yeah. And I think you made a great point about not having, you know, coaches out there recruiting. We could see in five years where you have guys like Barton Simmons, who's like a general manager for Vanderbilt, where though you're bringing in guys maybe from the NFL to help negotiate yeah. these type of deals. And that's who these guys are talking with, not necessarily with coaches. The coaches are selling on the program. But on the other line, you've got a, a general manager or a, a head of player development that's trying to get negotiating these deals side by side. And, uh, and like you said, like it, it just and now that it's legal, like that's what I think annoys a lot of people. It's like it's legal now. We can openly talk about this, but yet we're still trying to have the charade that these guys are, like you said, coming here because of relationships, because they love like Jimbo went on a big thing. They love this university They're They want to play in front of 100,000 fans. Yeah, that might be, be it. But I'm sure they're fine paying in front of fifty thousand fans if they're going to get paid an extra hundred grand a year. So, yeah. um, and you know, listen, like we'll see. Like A and M was recruiting at a top five, top eight level before this season. It's not like you had a team that was in the fifties jump up to number two. Yeah, because of NIL. Like, guess what? Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, Penn State, Notre Dame, Texas, like Clemson, LSU, eleven, twelve. Like those are those are the same teams that are normally up there. Like, just so yeah. everyone knows, nothing's really changing. It's just things are above board now. I, it's going to be interesting to me as we progress through two, three years in the future. Like, let's say, I, and I, I know the eight and four thing is always a joke at A&M, but like, what if, what, like, are boosters going to keep fronting this money if the results on the field aren't there? Like, yeah. if you pay, let's say you pay $100,000 for a kid and to get him to your school because the coaching staff says this is a five-star kid. We, we need this guy. And he gets injured his first year, and then he gets passed on the depth chart his second year, and then he wants to train. Like, I just wonder if – I think things will balance out eventually. And I also wonder, like, what this does for your roster. Like, if you have a five-star kid, he's like, I'm making 100, 100 grand. And he was, like, misevaluated. And that, like, the three-star kid that's getting nothing, like, beats yeah. him out. Because, like, we see that. Like, you see that all the time. You see – not all five stars pan out. Most of them do. Most of them are really good players. Some don't. Like, yeah. what does the coach say when he's like, hey, like, coach, or like the booster comes, he says, hey, I paid 100 grand for this kid to come to school. Why isn't he playing? And maybe that stuff's already happened. It's just above board now. But like, that's where my mind is going. It's like, these coaches now, it just creates another like weird locker room dynamic that like is about dollars and cents now. Yeah. Or uh, you, you talk about just like the three star. What about the walk on? That is paying his own way. Paying Andrew Mayfield. Yeah. Paying his own way. And then you have a guy who hasn't even stepped on a collegiate field and uh, is already making 100 like, How about this? Stetson Bennett versus JT Daniels. Yeah. Like, Stetson Bennett's a walk-on. Went to Juco. Walk he's went, like, he's starting. Like, JT Daniels is like, hey, I, you know, I'm a five-star. What the heck's going on? <laughs> you know? You know, so... It, it'll be interesting to see where we're at. I, I, I don't think it has a huge impact on like the sport in and of itself. Like yeah, you might have some schools that like, but you know, at the end of the day, 
winning at a high level in college football at this point comes down to money and resources. Yes. Like we saw Oregon start to win at a high level when Phil Knight and Nike pumped a bunch of money in that mm-hmm. program. You know, Clemson is probably the last non-blue blood to really elevate its program into that stratosphere with the Georgias and Alabamas and Ohio States. And now it's, again, they have as good a resource as any team in the country. Yeah. And like you, I think you, you hit it right on the head too. It's just, it's probably not going to change. I think I saw another tweet. I'm not sure if you sent it to me or not, but it was like, I, in the last five years, I think it's like, I think it's Georgia, A&M, Ohio State, Alabama have the same amount of force or four and f- or five star players as the rest of college football yeah. combined. <laughs> like, and we wonder why there's no no parity. Um, yeah, as you mentioned, yeah, there's no one jumping up. Uh, I mean, North Carolina. I mean, maybe you could say you know not a traditional blue blood coming in with the number ten overall class, including getting two five star guys um, coming off a season where they only won six games. Uh, you know, maybe they're trying to make a move through there. Kentucky well, and Missouri but, also up there. Yeah, in the top fifteen. Yeah, Kentucky with the number thirteen class, half their players were were four star guys. So, um, yeah, that's the kind of stuff you want to see. But you also see those top four teams that are just going to be collecting talent, it's money, resources, and I think also too, how soon can you get guys to the NFL? Um, if they can make money in college it's a bonus but it's really how can i get my first contract in the nfl and those are the places that do it the best so until that stops i think you're still going to see the factory continue to go through those schools 100 percent, 100 percent. it'll be interesting i was listening to the uh, cover three and bud elliott had said that every number one rated recruiting class i think in the last like decade won a national championship at some yeah. point in their three to four years now you know, half of that's Alabama, right? They mm-hmm. win every other year. But Georgia, I believe in 2019 or 2018, had the number one recruiting class. And then Ohio State, with uh, one of Urban's classes, won with their national championship most recently. So, you know, we'll we'll talk a little bit about Jimbo here, I'm sure, because they're going to be a team that everyone is going to be looking at coming in, into next year. Yeah. But at this point now, it's national championship or bust. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's within the next couple of years. Like, you have to win at a high level, and you play in a brutal conference to do that. Now, yeah. maybe this is the year with LSU kind of in a rebuilding mode and Auburn's down a little bit, and, but you still got the beast in you know, Alabama and Bryce Young back. So I don't want to talk too much about A&M, but it, it will be interesting to see in the next three years, do they break into that upper – you know, blue blood upper echelon. Yeah. And like you mentioned too, like if it's they're if they're not getting there, do we see that booster support start to slip for Jimbo where he's not getting, you know, an alleged $30 million recruiting pool to give to players. Yeah. Um, so because tenant two is not going to cut it and it, who knows, maybe he'll be on, on our, on our next list on our next uh, topic that we're getting. To great. It's a great show. segue, Lucas. Okay. So this was an idea I had earlier in the week and we're going to do it right now. So this is going to be a hot seat draft. Lucas and I uh, each have a list of coaches coming into the season on a hot seat and we're going to draft them. And the way this draft works is like the first pick will be like the hottest seat you think in college football. So like Nick Saban and Kirby smart are picked last in, mm-hmm. in, in this draft, <laughs> we're, we're going to do five rounds. So we will each get a pick in each round. We'll just kind of alternate. 
Lucas was kind enough to give me the first pick because he knows who I'm going to pick. And then we'll talk a little bit about the, that situation. And then we'll, we'll do some honorable mentions and just kind of have a little discussion about coaches um, going on in the hot seat here in 2022. Mm -hmm. So um, with the first pick in the 2022 running for the Roses hot seat drafts, uh, I will select Herm Edwards from the Arizona State University. Um, for those maybe outside of the Southwest footprint, it has been a disastrous about week for ASU football. They signed their lowest ranked recruiting class in the internet era outside of the top 100, um, a recruiting class that would rank, I believe as of last time I checked ninth in the mountain West conference and ninth in the mid American conference. Um, it had six high school signees, three junior college signees, and only one four-star, a running back, Tevin White. On top of that, uh, Antonio Pierce resigns the defensive coordinator, recruiting coordinator, and kind of presumptive coach-in-waiting for this program. Antonio Pierce resigns on National Signing Day. Zach Hill, the offensive coordinator, resigns a few days ago. ASU had two coaches fired, one more resigned. They've lost five assistants from this staff in the wake of the recruiting scandal um, that, that they're going through. And I was listening to a, a really good podcast from the ASU 24 seven site. And Chris Cartman does a really good job there. Sundevilsource.com. He basically said, like, if you look back at where ASU was in May of 2021, they had four, I believe four star commits, a top 20 class, and they were trending towards a top 25 recruiting class in this cycle. And they had maybe the most hyped roster in the last, you know, eight to 10 years of ASU football. And since then, it has just been a disaster. You have the recruiting infractions story break, the dossier coming out, coaches on leave. You have kind of a disappointing eight and five season. And it's kind of culminating in a, this is now a not if her Edwards is gone. It is a when her Edwards is gone. Her Edwards could be gone in a week. Herm Edwards could be gone in a month, but I don't think Herm Edwards will be the head coach of this football team in a year from now, February of 2023. If I had to guess, I'm guessing he, they coach, they let him coach uh, the 2022 season because according to 24-7, according to Chris, ASU is going to start self-imposing some sanctions to try to get out ahead of the NCAA investigation. They're going to try to limit like recruiting visits for their coaches and limit official visitors during the year and maybe take a scholarship reduction to try to get out ahead of this so that when the dust settles, they're just not completely getting destroyed by the NCAA. Um, because according to 24-7, according to Chris Cartman, ASU is going to be hit with level one notice of allegations, Oof. notice of infractions, which is the worst you can get. So it's going to get bad for ASU here. I don't know what the record is next year. They could be six and six. They could be seven and five. But moving forward, you sign nine high school and junior college players in this class. And the 2021 class was outside of the top 50. So I went a little long there, Lucas. I kind of wanted to give my thoughts on this yeah. on the situation. But your thoughts kind of on ASU and, and kind of where they're at from a bit of an outsider's point of view. No, I mean, it, it is brutal because I, I do remember, I think it was her second year in 2019. Um, at the time, I, I was doing a short living assignment in Arizona, and I just remember talking to people about the program, and there was so much enthusiasm, especially you had a great young quarterback in Jaden Daniels. Like you mentioned, recruiting was on a huge uptick, especially in Southern California, 
And, you know, it just felt like Herm brought a new energy that was missing under Todd Graham. And to see it kind of fold, and I think the worst part of it all is they did all these infractions and, and everything, and all they had to show for it this year was an 8-5 and five season. You mentioned last year, not even, you know, barely a top 50 recruiting class. So, it, and it sticks. Like, I, I can't imagine, you know, obviously being an AS, you guys being an ASU fan, because this is not just a bit. You know, basically 2022, you can almost consider almost a lost year because there's really no progress that's really going to be made. And then you basically, if you fire Herm, you're starting over and your head coach is not coming into a great situation, especially if there are scholarship reductions, recruiting uh, limits that they have to do. So it, it it lowers the pool of coaches that will probably want to take that job. And then it also, I mean, it's probably going to be a two to three year at least rebuild maybe before the team is is somewhat relevant again. Um, and hopefully there's no, no postseason bans that are multiple years or anything like that. So it's just an awful situation. I think from an outsider, I just, I don't see how Ray Anderson, if Herm is gone, I don't see why Ray Anderson should be in charge of the next hire. Um, because he basically bet everything on Herm Edwards turning this program around. So I, I just, and to have this happen under your watch, and it's, it's embarrassing to the university. I know Michael Crow does not want athletics to make the university look bad. And that's exactly what happened in this situation. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a really tough spot. Um, like I said, I don't know when, I mean, at this point it is inevitable that Herm will be, will be gone. I even think if they overachieve, let's say they win eight or nine games. Like, I don't know with the looming infractions, like pop probably going to lose out on a bowl game. You know, you could lose a lot of scholarships. Like, it's it's not going to be pretty. And like you said, like, what? how appealing is this job to somebody wanting to come in from the ground up? And who's making that hire? And it's just a mess. And and ASU athletics, I mean, they, the ASU football team, since I've been following them for the last 15, 20 years, I've never really seen them bottom out. Like, they've never been a 3-9, and 4-8, and 2-10 and 10 kind of a program there consistently kind of middle of the pack six and six seven and five five and seven kind of teams it could get pretty bad um it, it could get pretty bad um in terms of where this program is i uh our, our friend dakota kind of keeps me in in the loop on like how the u of a football program is doing they have the number two recruiting class in the pac 12 but it, that's been a dismal program the last handful of years yeah and i tell them i'm like it's not going to be that far off for ASU to be there. Like ASU, I think will bottom out in the PAC 12, maybe in 23 and 24 before they can write the ship. The transfer portal is an X factor. Now you can get better fast. I get that. You, and that's kind of what they've tried to do. Like ASU signed nine transfers. They have the number 18 transfer class in the country. Um, so they are trying to build through the transfer portal and you can do that now. I don't think it's a great way to sustain success. So we'll see what happens. Any, any more thoughts on ASU before we move on to your first pick, Lucas? Yeah, no, it's, I, I mean, it's just a shame. I, I think ASU is a really good coaching job if you get the right person in there. Um, yeah, you just hope that it's, it's like you said, if ASU in, invokes uh, uh, sanctions on themselves, that it's just a quick Band-Aid. You just rip it off now, get 2022 over with, and hopefully – Hopefully in 23, you're, you're looking at a better situation, hopefully with a new AD and a new new head coach in there. But yep. I'm sorry you all have to go through that. Uh, it's tough. 
Top out there. I'm just going to be a, an a Illinois fan now. <laughs> All right, Lucas. Herm Everidge is off the board. You are up now with your first-round pick in the 2022 Coaches Hot Seat Draft. Gotcha. So I, I'm not going to jump to Illinois because I don't. Obviously, I don't think Brett is is on the hot seat anytime soon. But I will. I will stay in the Big Ten West. Probably not a shock. Probably the only other uh, logical one right here is I'm taking uh, Scott Frost, who I think many people would agree probably could have easily been fired this year. Uh, he's now been at uh, Nebraska now for four years. Uh, the most they've most games they've won in one season was five. Uh, and that was in his second season. No bowl appearances. I believe it's the longest drought in Nebraska's history without a bowl game. And last year, I mean, they kind of bought him out. They had the worst record underneath him, three and nine. Uh, they probably could have easily been nine and three, which I think is a big reason why he had this job. But, uh, you know, they have a new AD in Trev Alberts his first year. He decided to stick with Scott Frost for one more season. And it's really do or die. If I, I really truly believe if they do not make a bowl game, he's gone. They may need to be even better. They might have to win seven or eight games to really show true progress. Um, but I think everyone knows that he even took a pay cut so that he could hire uh, more assistants. Um, I do like the hire he did. He got Mark Whipple or Mark Whipple from Pitt, who obviously had a, a really nice year developing Kenny Pickett into a Heisman finalist. And they also got Casey Thompson to replace Adrian Martinez, um, the former quarterback at Texas. So a guy with starting experience who has some skills and um, should be an interesting offensive makeup. But, you know, like I said, he needs to win this year or he's done. And uh, it's really kind of a fall from grace for Nebraska fans. They thought if there was anybody to resurrect this program, it was Scott Frost came in from that undefeated season at UCF. And now we're looking at year five and, you're just hoping you can make a bowl game with him. What are what are your thoughts on on Scott Frost's tenure? Yeah, I mean, listen, 15 and 29 in four years hasn't won more than three games in the Big 12 in his time there. Um, I think if he wasn't a high profile former player, yeah. he probably is gone after last year. And maybe you know programs are still feeling the brunt of COVID, and and maybe they didn't want to make a change if they didn't have to. And you're right, they were in a lot of games. Like their point differential was like close to zero. They almost beat Oklahoma. They almost beat Iowa. Like it started really bad when they lost to Illinois and Brett Bielema. I know that this, let's just check off the talk about Illinois in the show. <laughs> but you know, you lose to Illinois week zero and they've kind of rebounded a little bit. Has had some good showings, but you, you got to win. And I mean, like, remember what six, seven years ago, they were firing Bo Pelini for going nine and three. three. Yeah. Right. Like that was a disappointment. And the Mike Riley tenure was, a brutal fit from the get-go and you're right like scott frost comes in 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 2018 and it's like this is the guy right prodigal son um really good coaching resume as an assistant at oregon as a head coach at ucf coming off a a national championship season at ucf 13 and 0 and it's it's just been a disaster i mean i don't it's crazy to me in college football granted last year was a covid year you go four years with no bowls like that's you usually don't stick around. No. So Scott Frost was probably like the A1 pick. I think if this Herm stuff didn't come up, he's probably the first pick in this draft. Um, looking ahead at their 2022 schedule, they have a week zero game in Dublin, Ireland against Northwestern. <laughs> you, I mean, you lose that, they just may leave him in Ireland or uh, in, in Ireland. <laughs> they may ask him to like take a um, 
like just like row your boat home, basically. Row your um, they have Oklahoma at home as their big non-conference game. And from the East, they get Indiana, Rutgers, and Michigan. So decent uh, draw from the East. Yeah. We'll see. They get Wisconsin at home and at Iowa uh, to end the season. Really tough, tough stretch to end at Michigan, yeah. Wisconsin at home, and then Iowa on Black Friday. It's tough. You better be bowl eligible before that. I'll tell you yes. right there. You better be yep. bowl eligible. All right, my second pick. Um, I'm going to take one. I don't know if he would be on your list. I'm going to take Brian Harson from Auburn. Um, I don't know if you've been reading too much about what's been going on down there in it's Auburn. It's a shit show. It, it's a shit it has show. been a disaster for Brian <laughs> Harson. Um, he is, you know, at one point six and three in his first year there. They lose to Mississippi State at home. They lose to South Carolina on the road. They're leading Alabama, about to get one of the bigger wins of the last five or six years. They choke that game away. They lose in quadruple overtime to Alabama. Mm -hmm. Since then, they have fired their offensive coordinator, Mike Bobo. They have seen their defensive coordinator, Derek Mason, leave for a Big 12 job for Oklahoma State. When was the last time? I would love to know when the last time an SEC coordinator left for a Big 12 job. Like, at best, a lateral move and probably a move down. Um, the offensive coordinator that Brian Harson hired, Austin Davis, was the quarterback's coach of the Seattle Seahawks. He resigned earlier this week or late or late last week, and after about a month on the job, citing personal reasons. So Brian Harson's gonna line up with his third offensive coordinator in two years, mm-hmm. a new defensive coordinator that I believe they promoted the linebackers coach. Bo Nix transfers to Oregon. Um, they bring in Zach Calzada to compete with TJ Finley. LSU should be better next year. I think Arkansas is going to be just as good. Mississippi State in year three under Leach, A&M and Bama. Like, I think they're going to struggle to get to six wins. And that is a job where it wasn't a very popular hire when it happened. It was kind of seen as an outsider. Remember, he fired the wide receivers coach and kind of promoted somebody from within back in October. Like, it's just been a disaster for Brian Harson. It's been a shit show. And I don't think he lasts to year three. You can maybe argue that Auburn is typically have like they've shown patience with coaches. Like Gus was on the hot seat for about a decade before he got fired. <laughs> but it just it just this just feels different. I think he's lost the fans. And unless there's a miraculous turnaround on the field and they get some big wins and maybe win eight or nine games, like I think he's done. So Brian Harson's my my second pick. Yeah, you actually, um, he was number three on my list. So if you didn't take him, I was going to be taking him for number three for all the reasons you just mentioned. I mean, Ivan was reading an article today where apparently uh, Austin Davis was forced out because they just all of a sudden discovered that he was not qualified for the job. That was, that's apparently the the smear campaign that they're coming up, that they discovered something that he just was not qualified (laughs) for the job after only being there for a month and you just hired him. Uh, but even going back to December, I remember when the, when Auburn put in a mandate that all their employees had to be vaccinated for COVID-19. There was yep. a swirl because Bron, uh, Harson had been asked about it earlier in the season, and he kind of did the, the typical, you know, I'm not vaccinated as in, oh, it's a personal choice. Uh, I'm going to keep that private to myself. And a lot of people thought he might have been, they might have used that to try to fire him for cause. And like you mentioned, they started off six and two, then they lost the last five games. 
I mean, and you look at their schedule going into next year. They got Penn State at home, Oof. but they have to go. They have to go at Georgia. They have then they their first three weeks of uh, SEC play are LSU. It's at home at Georgia at Ole Miss. Then they do have Arkansas, but then they end at Alabama. I yeah. mean, I I don't even know if I see them winning any of those games. And I think for him to stay, eight wins probably is is his limit that he has to hit. And like you mentioned, I think it's just a, I just think, I honestly think a reason why they didn't fire him was they just didn't want to have to go through a third head coach in three years. And this might be it. I haven't seen his buyout, but I'm assuming it goes down after the, after the second year versus the first year. But, and this was a, this was a hire when we did our, our coaching grades last year. I mean, you love this hire. Uh, It was outside of the box, but he was pretty damn good at Boise state. And I thought it was a coup that they were able to get him to leave there. And it's just gone. It's gone just from from bad to worse within just a few weeks. Yeah, I mean, I was really high on the hire, like you said. I liked that it was an outsider. I liked that the AD Allen Green took a chance. I liked that he was a like established head coach. And yeah, I didn't buy into the whole you had to be an SEC guy to succeed in the SEC, but maybe you do. And he has not done a lot to help himself, like you said, with the vaccine stuff and blowing late leads and. There was some talks. He had some flirtation with the Washington head yeah. coaching opening because he wanted to get back to the to the Pacific Northwest. So, again, you listen. I think if he gets to seven wins with a upset or two along the way, maybe you can justify going into year three. Maybe he starts recruiting really well and they have a top ten class, and that saves the staff. But I don't see it. I think this is not going to be a bowl team next year. I think I could see him. Like you mentioned the early season schedule, like I, I could see him being gone kind of like where Ed Orgeron was gone and they start this coaching search decently early next year. Yeah, so. that's a that's actually a great point. I didn't even think about that where, you know, we discussed numerous. It's probably just going to get early and earlier that we see these yeah. coaches getting fired. Yeah, I, I think I think you're going to see it, which is, which is weird because it really didn't help LSU. Like LSU wasn't one of the – it's not like they hired Brian Kelly and like on Thanksgiving. Like it, it took yeah. them some time. So, all right, you, uh, your second pick. All right, so I'm going – this was one – I actually forgot about this when I initially wrote my list, and then when I thought about it, I was like, oh, shit, this guy's going to be actually much higher than these other ones. I am actually uh, going with Jeff Collins at Georgia Tech. Um, I just kind of forgot because I was just going through, like, teams in each Power 5 conference, and I just completely forgot about Georgia Tech. So that should tell you all you need to know about how the coach is doing. <laughs> you just complete forget about the program completely. But, I mean, you knew this was going to be a long overhaul when he took the job. They were moving from a triple option offense to try to move into a full spread, kind of modernized offense. You knew it was going to be a few years. But by year three, I think you thought you'd see some progress. And, I mean, they were awful last year. And three and nine, they go two and six, just getting blown out. Like their last two games of the year, they got beat a hundred to nothing combined against Notre Dame and against Georgia. And, you know, it, there's been some shines of growth. I mean, they played Clemson tough this year, but I mean, it's, it's just a brutal look down there with Jeff Collins, their defense, which he's a defensive guy. Has not been very good, really, his entire tenure there. And I, I think Georgia Tech can be a good job. I think it's largely because you're in Georgia. But 
I mean, there's also academic stuff there, and there's not a lot, a ton of fan support behind that football program as there used to be. And I just think, I mean, if he has another dud, another three or four, I think they got to make a bowl game in your fourth year. Um, I mean, it's not a good look too when your best player transfers when he still has eligibility left and goes to Alabama um, because he he wants to win. So. Uh, I, I'm going to go with Jeff Collins. I thought that was a, another good hire when it first started. It's just, it looks like they just aren't going anywhere really underneath his leadership. Yeah, that would probably have been my next pick. He was on my list. Um, you said the record three and nine, three and seven, three and nine. How about this? I don't know. Have, have you looked at their 2022 schedule? They open with Clemson, um, which is their annual crossover game. So they yeah. would have them anyway. They play Ole Miss in the non-conference and finish the year at finish the year Virginia Tech, Miami, North Carolina, Georgia. That's tough, man. And it's not like the ACC Coastal has been, you know, a uh, a murderer's row here. Like, yes, it's not. I mean, we saw Pitt win the ACC. Oh, and by the way, they have at UCF as their like. Who who is scheduling these games? The non-conference is Western Carolina, Ole Miss, UCF, and Georgia. Like, Georgia Tech, you already play Georgia every year. Yeah. Why are you scheduling Ole Miss? Another, why, why are you scheduling another Power 5? And then yes. for your G5, you're scheduling one of the best G5 programs out. Do you not want to go to a bowl game? Like that? No, is just- they don't. And this is – now, I can talk about cultivable scheduling all night. But this is why you can't schedule your season a decade in advance. Because when UCF is like 0-12, they're like, oh, let's put UCF on the schedule. Well, yeah, you know, it could go both ways. But, you know, that's a brutal non-conference schedule. I mean, you're looking at three losses in in, in, in the non-con. Yeah. And that means you got to go 5-3 and three in the ACC. Like, good luck, man. <laughs> at Florida State is their, is their other ACC Atlantic game. Like, good luck. At Pod Tech, they have uh, a cross, and then they play uh, North Carolina. They're at North Carolina, Miami. I mean, I could see. I mean, they got to play at Pitt. I mean, Pitt's going to be rebuilding, but the only game I can see them winning on the schedule is Western Carolina and Duke. That's probably it. Maybe Virginia. Yeah. Like maybe you see like Virginia's in a bit of a rebuild or you get one of, maybe you get one of Pitt or Virginia. Maybe you get Florida State. Like, I don't know. It's, that's. I, I think that job's open, and and you know, like you said, like I, it's in Atlanta. I mean, yeah. Georgia's one of the best, one of the most talent-rich states in the country. So I think it's it's a in your roster, it's a somewhat in a more ready spot to win than it was when Paul Johnson left. So we'll see. Um, all right, so we have Herm Edwards, Brian Harson on the board for me, and we have Scott Frost and Jeff Collins off the board to Lucas. Third round, first pick. I'm going to take Dino Babers from Syracuse University. What an interesting tenure for Dino Babers at Syracuse. Four and eight in 16, four and eight in 2017. A 10-win season in 2018. Six and two, second place in the ACC Atlantic behind Clemson. They go nine and three in the regular season and win the Camping World Bowl. And then since then, five and seven, one and 10, five and seven. Just a weird, weird tenure for Dino Babers. I'm, I actually, when I was putting my list together, I had to look and see if he still had the job because I thought they made <laughs> and I just didn't. 
I just didn't remember. Um, Cause I'm surprised that after a five and seven, one and 10, like coming off a one and 10 season, you go five and seven. That's good. Very surprised. You'd keep your job. Yeah. One bowl game in six seasons. Uh, the bottom really fell out in 2020 and a five and seven year in, uh, in, in 2021. Um, I liked the hire at the time. I mean, he had some success at Bowling Green. He had some success at Eastern Illinois, but it just hasn't worked out. And, uh, you know, Florida State's getting better. Wake Forest is pretty good. Clemson is Clemson. You know, NC State's supposed to bring back a pretty solid team next year with uh, with Devin Leary. So don't think the grass is very much greener on the in 2022 for Syracuse. I haven't looked at their schedule, but I would be surprised if this team gets to a bowl game. So Dino Bayers will be my third-round pick. Yeah, uh, we were just talking about brutal non-conference schedules. Uh, they have uh, Purdue and Notre Dame uh, for two of their their non-conference games. No. So, <laughs> uh, mixed with UConn and Wagner, but uh, like you mentioned too, yeah, just a weird. I mean, arguably that ten and three year was one of the best years Syracuse had had in in decades. Yeah. Like just a revival of Syracuse football, and Dino Babers was fun. Like they were an air raid type team his first few years they just threw the ball 50 to 60 times but i mean and even last year they uh they started off five and four they had one of the best running backs in the country uh in sean tucker uh super exciting freshman and they lose the last three games of their year um yeah couldn't agree with you uh anymore that they do hire a new offensive coordinator this year to kind of revamp that offense um but yeah Looking at that schedule, I'm not seeing they're they're in the tougher side of the ACC too, um, where you, like you mentioned, uh, Wake, NC State, Clemson, Florida State, uh, you know Louisville, Boston College. I would still say are still better teams than them. So um, yeah, I I can't disagree with that pick. He was he was number five on my uh, on my chart, so I can't disagree with that one at all. All right, your uh, your third round pick. I am going to actually stay uh, in the Atlantic division of the ACC. We just kind of brought him up. And I'm actually going with uh, Scott Satterfield. At yep, he was on my list. He was on my list. Um, and this is just – a lot of this was actually kind of self-inflicted with uh, Satterfield uh, a couple of years ago uh, when – South or that was just a year ago when South Carolina was open. He yep. was very open that he interviewed for that job. And – didn't really apologize for doing it and th- that did not sit with the fan base uh, at well. Cause you could probably argue that Louisville is a better job than South Carolina. Obviously him being a North Carolina native, it did make a lot of sense, but he really didn't double down. And the thing is, is uh, you saw it in, in 2020. I mean, they, they struggled on the field this year, even, um, I can't remember what they're. I think they just made a bowl game. They were six and six this past year, or no? They, yeah, they were they six were and seven, four and seven a year ago. Yeah. And this was, you know, in 2019, they were a great story. I mean, Bobby Petrino basically left that program in shambles. Satterfield comes in, restills a lot of confidence in those guys, and they were one of the best stories of 2019. And then all of a sudden, he talks about interviewing South Carolina. Apparently, he doesn't get along with. Uh, with the administration at Louisville. Um, and like I said, they just weren't that great this year. Good offense. Malik Cunningham was fun to watch, but uh, could not stop a lick on defense. 
And, you know, Louisville's a proud program. Once again, we talked about how tough that division's getting tougher. Uh, Like you said, Wake, Clemson, Florida State should be improved this year, Boston College. Uh, And I didn't even see their schedule. Um, They they got UCF again this year. Uh, And then they actually have a a non-conference game at Kentucky, too. So uh, with their crossovers, which look like it's uh, Virginia, uh, Pitt uh, is a crossover game uh, for them as well. So, yeah, I I just think the writing's kind of on the wall with Satterfield. He was kind of on the way out, and he might be forced out this year if nothing gets better for them. Yeah, Scott was on my list, and and like you had said, this really started when he flirted with that South Carolina job very publicly. And if you're going to let that get out, if that's going to leak somewhere, you almost have to get the job, right? Like very hard to come back from that when you're, you know, people are reporting that you're interviewing in some, you know, middle part of the country, basically between your, between South Carolina and Louisville. Like it was very bad and he's underachieved there a little bit, I think relative to, I think what Bobby Petrino did with Lamar Jackson and kind of where that program was when he took it over, like granted it wasn't in a great spot, but you know, people have visions of what they did for that, right? Bobby Petrino and Lamar Jackson. So I would I would agree. Um, and, you know, like, like we had said with the ACC at, at Atlantic, like Florida State might be better and Clemson and Wake and NC State. Like now you're talking about being the fourth best team in your division. You got to play Kentucky as a, as a, you know, yearly non-conference opponent. It's, um, it's tough. So. Um, okay, so he was definitely on my list. I probably would have taken him next. I was down to two guys, and I think I'm going to take the one that maybe is a little bit more obvious. I'm going to take Steve Sarkeesian um, for Texas. Um, year two, year one, I did not go as planned. I think we can we can kind of safely say they struggled to find consistency at quarterback. They lost at Kansas at home. That is never a good sign for a Texas coach losing to Kansas. That was kind of the nail in the coffin for Charlie Strong. Um, I think the interesting thing with Texas was it, it wasn't the consensus around that program wasn't that there wasn't talent there. Like Tom Herman recruited really well. They uh, had top 10, top five recruiting classes. And... Um, the idea was like, if you've got a good offensive mind, if you've got a good play caller, that would fix things. Um, well, they went five and seven last year. And Tom Herman never had a losing season in Texas. And the bottom fell out a little bit in ways that like, you should never lose to Kansas if you're Texas yeah. at home. You should never do that. So we'll see. They've added several um, high high profile transfers, most notably Quinn Ewers, the five star quarterback who transfers from Ohio State. He will likely be the starting quarterback. Week two, they had Alabama at home. Um, you get UTSA at home as well in the non conference. Um, you have to go at Oklahoma State, at Kansas State, at Kansas. So, listen, I think for Tom, I don't see Herman getting fired if unless they don't make a bowl game but you know this should be an eight or nine win team I mean this at some point you got to compete for the pat for the the big 12 you know I mean last year it was it was Oklahoma State and Baylor you know Oklahoma has a new coach um 
you know, Oklahoma State's replacing some key players on offense. Like, this is the year to kind of make things happen. So we'll see. If they get blitzed by Alabama, like they lose bad, like 49-7 or something, like that's just not a good trend. Yeah. Um, so this isn't like – I think everybody on the list that we've had, the first six coaches, are guys I'm pretty confident will be fired heading uh, after this season. I don't think Sark will, but I think the seat's getting hot. And they had a really good recruiting class this year, top five class, good transfer. So I, I think it's trending okay. But when you go five and seven at Texas, you're just on the hot seat. So that's why yeah. I put it. Yeah, I don't think it's a good. I mean, they had a lot of guys transfer out too after this year. So it could have just been a meddling where he's like, hey, this is kind of a year zero for us. We're going to get out the guys that actually want to be here, the ones that don't that aren't going to fit our system. We're just going to let them go. Still probably should have made a bowl game with that talent. As you mentioned, a loss to, to Kansas, a two win, I believe it just a two win Kansas team. They hit the over though. The Kansas did hit the over on their, on their, on their win total. And I, I think it was the first time, was it the first time they had ever won in Austin? Yeah. Cause I, I know when Charlie Strong lost to them, it was at, it was in, it was in Kansas. Yeah. It was in Lawrence. I think it was the first, or it was the first time they had beaten them since like the, 60s or something like that it was something crazy but yeah like you mentioned i think i think a big case of it could be when they finally decide when texas is gonna in oklahoma are gonna be allowed to go to the sec i think a lot of people had thought this would probably be the last year but now it looks like the big 12 is gonna ride this out all the way to 2025 so i think that could buy sark more time just because if they were going to 2023, I think if they didn't, they went six and six, seven and five again this year, Texas might be like, hey, we don't think this guy's going to win in this new conference. We're going to a new conference. Let's have a clean slate. Let's get someone who knows how to win in the SEC. But uh, yeah, the schedule, I mean, it's Texas. They're going to be better. They're going to have more talent than everybody on their schedule this year besides Alabama and Oklahoma. So I think what you're saying, eight to nine wins is definitely reasonable. Um, but we'll see. He was on my list. He was actually number the number six guy I had on here just because um, it's Texas. They're yeah. like Auburn and like all those other jobs. They don't have a lot of patience. So yeah. I am interested to see how it falls. I mean, they also have UTSA, who's not a bad team. Yeah, that's uh, what I was saying. I was like, UTSA yeah. went 10 or 11 to 1 last year. Last year, right? yeah. And their head coach is still there uh, and everything is intact. It's not like they're rebuilding. So uh, should be an interesting year for uh, for Texas. Uh, let me see here. Number All right, so while while you consider, just to recap the board here, Herm Everidge is off the board, Scott Frost is off the board, Dino Babers is off the board, Jeff Collins, Scott Satterfield, and Steve Sarkeesian off the board. So I am actually going to go kind of in the – Kind of similar direction, but going back to the ACC once again in the ACC Atlantic, uh, we could see a lot of coaching turnover in that in that division this year. But uh, going Florida State uh, and Mike Norvell, uh, it's been kind of a rough couple of years. Obviously, he goes into already what was a bad situation under the last few years under Jimbo, under Willie Taggart, who didn't even last two years there. Uh, came into kind of a culture mess. Uh, a completely depleted offensive line. Um, but, I mean, Norvell hasn't really shown a ton uh, to think that it is that it is moving around, uh, especially last year. They, you know, they come out of the year, almost knock off 
a really good Notre Dame team, first game of the year. But then the next week they lose to Jacksonville State, uh, an FCS team, on a Hail Mary, no less, on a play that – On a brutal Hail Mary. Hail Mary, like, yes. Insanely terrible coached Hail Mary. He didn't even catch it in the end zone. He caught it like 10 yards short. Yes. And nobody could tackle the wide receiver. Uh, that being said, you didn't have to give them credit. After an 0-4 start, they did win five out of their next seven. It set up a game against Florida that they only lost by three to go to a bowl game. So it did feel like, at least towards the end of the year, there was some momentum here. However, I mean, this is Florida State. This is one of the best jobs in the country. I think this year, I mean, if they don't show any sign of improvement, and we talked about other people's – they got LSU second week of the season after uh, an opener against Duquesne, which I just think is hilarious. Um, a lot of I week mean, zero games this year, by the way. That's I, I've been like looking at these schedules because I thought Florida State opened with LSU. A lot of week zero games this year, which I love. I, but just I, I love it. I think I think teams actually don't mind it because they get to play earlier and they get an extra bye week uh, as the season yeah. goes. So yeah. uh, I'm all for it. More college football on week zero. I'm all for it, uh, especially oh, yeah. during the summer. But uh, I mean, it's Florida State. I think he's got to go at least probably seven and five this year um and show that there is some movement ahead i have no idea who's going to be playing quarterback for them uh they've still recruited at a high level but uh you know mike norvell was like once again was a guy coming in had a great tenure at memphis obviously ryan you're familiar with him when he was the offensive coordinator down at asu uh, was considered a good hire but back to back once again bowlless seasons for florida state is just not going to cut it if that's the case this year you know, this is where uh, sort of my draft order comes back to haunt me because I was going to pick Mike Norvell. It was between it was between Sark and Mike Norvell. You didn't even bring up the fact that Travis Hunter flipped to Jackson State on signing day. Not that, that. I mean, like the number one recruit in the country who has been in your class for almost two years flipped to an FCS school coached by one of your most prominent alumni on national signing day. And basically you were the laughing stock with egg on your face in national for national signing day. Um, I agree with you three and six in 2020 with COVID. And I, I get it. Like these coaches going into year three, so hard the first year with COVID. Um, but you know, I thought Mike did a decent job last year up until they lost to a zombie Florida team. Yeah. I mean, remember, like, Florida, the both teams were five and six. Florida fired Dan Mullen. The players, like, Florida was done. They they didn't want to be there. Florida State was actually, like, playing to go to a bowl game, and they lost. Like, that's two back-to-back years, no bowls for Florida State. is like, inexcusable. They had gone one to, like, 100 straight years. Mm-hmm. They even, like, scheduled LMU at the end of the season one year to, like, yeah. keep the bowl streak in, in, in chat. Like they care about going to bowl games. And so the recruiting class was inside of the top 20, um, despite losing Travis Hunter. Um, you look at the schedule, it's it's LSU in Florida. Um, LSU, they play in the Superdome. Florida, they get at home. The road ACC games are Louisville, NC State, and Syracuse. They also got to play like the Louisiana Raging Cajuns um, before Florida. Like that's yeah. kind of a sneaky weird good group of five teams so you know we'll see um i also think if you go three years without a bowl game at florida state like you're probably not keeping your job no you know it'll be a real that's a really interesting i think that's the sunday yeah so that's a sunday game that's on uh, labor day 
or the day before Labor Day against uh, floor against LSU. That'll be a really interesting one, like Brian Kelly against Mike Norvell. Um, first game of their uh, first game of the Brian Kelly uh, mm. era. All right, so my my last pick. I think I'm. I'm going to go Mac Brown from North Carolina because I think at some point you have to match on-field success with recruiting success. North Carolina had the number 10 recruiting class in the country in 2022. I believe in 21 they finished top 15, maybe higher. Um, At some point, this was a pretty disappointing year for North Carolina. You had Sam Howell. They went six and seven, I think, like – you beat Wake Forest at home, which was a big win, but like a lot of like you lay the egg against Virginia Tech first game of the season, like just wasn't pretty for Mac Brown. And eventually, like with better recruiting raises your expectations. Like it's it's a uh, it's kind of a bittersweet thing, right? Like you recruit well, it excites your fan base, but you also have to match that on the field. And I just think year what four with Mac Brown, um, you gotta you know, this is your eight or nine win team and, or it should be right. You you have a, a really good class. Who's going to be a true freshman. You have a good class. Who's a sophomores and retro freshman, like got to start showing that on the field. Um, you look ahead to the schedule. The non-conference is, is very, very, um, very uh, manageable. App state, Georgia state, Florida, A&M. They do get Notre Dame. Am I reading that right though? They play app state and Georgia state on the road. I'm looking at that too. Yeah, very strange. Again, what are teams doing? <laughs> what are you doing? Um, you do get Notre Dame at home. The cross division game is Wake Forest, and uh, who else is it? Wake Forest and NC State. Um, so we'll see. I think. I mean, again, I don't think Mac Brown's going to get fired. But you go seven and five with those kind of recruiting classes, like you kind of diminish what you're doing off the field. So, yeah, no, I agree. I mean, they, um, you know, they did, uh, they, they did make some changes at defensive coordinator, which should help. Um, they brought in Gene Chizik once again, who uh, came back, I think, under Larry Fedora and resurrected that North Carolina defense about five or six years ago. They're hoping for the same success. Um, so interested to see if that does work. Uh, but no, I agree. Uh, they brought in a lot of hype with Mac Brown, kind of the CEO. And I thought North Carolina was maybe the most disappointing team this year. They were, I believe, top 10 coming in. They did have to replace a lot on offense, but you still had Sam Howell. You thought maybe that defense could pick them up. It just wasn't the case. They had that clunker against Virginia Tech, um, against who we found out was having a lame duck head coach. Um, they did get, I mean, we, you could argue they had the best non-conference win of any ACC school though, when they, uh, defeated Wake Forest, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, they still couldn't get over Florida state. They lost to Georgia tech. We just talked about, and they lost terribly. They lost by three scores. I remember cause I bet heavily on North Carolina in that game. Um, yeah, it's just not going to do it. I think you mentioned that, uh, you know, the recruiting has to catch up with them. Otherwise, North Carolina's a really good job. So it's not going to have a shortage of candidates, especially with the level of talent that they've accumulated. So I do uh, I do agree with that pick. All right. Close us out, Lucas. Oh man, I have a few people on here. 
I'm going to go with, do I go with the logical choice or do I go with kind of the, the interesting, kind of intriguing choice? Interesting um, and intriguing. I am going to go as, I don't know, I don't think he's going to fire, but he should probably be on the hot seat. And that's, uh, that's David Shaw at Stanford. He is, just for the fact we found out this year, he's arguably one of the highest paid head coaches in college football. He's making well over $8 million a year. Yeah, uh, which was a shock, but their last few years, it's just been, uh, it's just not been great. Uh, and Paul, I'll tell you, four and eight uh, in twenty nineteen, uh, they did have an okay COVID year. They did go four and two, but then three and nine this year, and they're still recruiting at a high level. They still had one of the best recruiting classes in the Pac twelve this year. I believe they had a top fifteen class uh, to close out this season, but. I don't know. You just wonder if it if things are starting to get stale there, um, if things are running off. I remember David Shaw just a few years ago. A lot of people thought he would maybe jump to the NFL when his stock was really, really high. Obviously, a former assistant in the NFL for a long time. He's been very, very uh, loyal to, to Stanford. But you look at it right now, especially we mentioned earlier, Washington, Oregon. Both of those programs are going through transition this year. I'm just like, if you're not going to be able to pounce on the Pac-12 North this year, I don't know if that window is going to open back up like it did in the early 2010s for them. And uh, yeah, and Stanford's a tough job. It's a tough, it's a better job now, but I just think you go three or three out of four years without going to a bowl game, or even if you go to a bowl game, that's just not the standard that's been set at Stanford. And I'm interested to see what they do if that, if that happens again. Yeah, so he wasn't on my list, um, but I think it's a good call. Um, three and nine is, I mean, it's so weird to see Stanford at that point. And it's been kind of a stale program the last handful of years. Yeah. You know, it it really has. And the level of talent, especially at, at quarterback, is diminishing. I mean, I guess technically, you know, Davis Mills did do some some nice things this year with the, the Texans. But it seems like kind of those high-level Stanford linemen, you're not seeing them quite as much. Um, it will be interesting. I was just looking up Stanford's schedule. They out of the South, they get ASU, UCLA, Utah, and USC. Non-conference is Colgate at Notre Dame and hosting BYU. So, Pac-12, it's like I you just never know. I mean, you, I mean, <laughs> this should be like I don't know who's going to win the North. I mean, is it is it Oregon? Is it is it Washington? I mean, it's it's. Oregon State's been playing better recently. They have to um, Stanford has to they host Oregon State. They go at Oregon at Washington. So not a not an easy um, non conference schedule. Um, so quickly, I'll just the only guy on my list that no that was not drafted was Jimbo. I almost took him. It was in between him and Mac Brown. Kind of the same thing as Mac Brown. Like I just think eventually eight and four is not good enough. Like eventually. You have to be 10 and 2, 11 and 1. Like maybe it's this year. Maybe it's, I think more so 23 would be the year that the seat will get warm and like this is your breakthrough year. Yeah. But it, it's going to get there, right? I mean, you signed another big contract extension in the, uh, in the fall when it was rumored that LSU was targeting him. You signed the number one class in the country. At some point, you can't lose to Mississippi State at home. You can't lose to Arkansas. Like, what a weird year for AM. Yeah. You beat Alabama. And yet you lose to LSU, you who was bad. You lose to Arkansas, Ole Miss, and Mississippi State. Like, what a weird year weird. for Jimbo. So 
I think if they're like eight and four, nine and three, um, the seat continues to get warm. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Uh, we mentioned it this year and especially cause if you look at Jimbo, just his previous, you know, he's, he's had a decent run at A&M, but I mean, they, they chased Kevin Sumlin out after he went eight and five for like a third consecutive year. And if you look at their, their records, they're, they're oddly familiar. They have one big year, which was a couple of years ago for A&M. Uh, and now, you know, like you said, top recruited recruiting class in the country, you're kind of the sexy program in the state too. Uh, they've kind of taken over Texas as kind of the premier program, but how long is that going to last? I mean, you're just doing that while Texas is down and they're still in the big 12, but I think that's a good pick. Um, kind of my honorable mentions. I actually had Neil Brown from West Virginia um, on there too. Just kind of, he's just been kind of mediocre at West Virginia. Um, I think they expect much, especially when Dan Holgerson left, they were kind of a nine to 10 win program just about every single year. Um, and especially with Texas and Oklahoma on the end, you know, I think if you're West Virginia, you have a shot that we could be a contender in the big 12, just about every year when those two are gone. Um, and then another person I had was uh, Carl Durrell at Colorado. Uh, that just wasn't, I mean, it was a, it was a weird hiring period that they went through uh, when Mel Tucker just bolted for Michigan state. He was kind of like a, just kind of a guy who was willing to take that job. Uh, last year going to four and eight. I mean, if they have another year, it could just be an easy reset button for them if they if they yeah. have a down year. Okay. All right. Well, hey, fun show, fun fun little twist on the uh, coaching search. We're gonna or on hot seats, and we're gonna keep trying to do monthly shows, biweekly shows, maybe one show every three four weeks. So during the off season, Lucas, any uh, final thoughts before we say our goodbyes? Uh, yeah, uh, any of those impacts by weather, stay safe. And uh, we only have, I think it's like six more months or six and a half months till week zero. So it's coming. It's coming soon. Uh, I've been seeing teams uh, showing off their spring football schedule. So that's coming as well, baby. We spring go. games next month, spring practices for some schools start this month. So truly, truly never stops. Uh, that's going to do it for us for now. Uh, for Lucas, I'm Ryan. Uh, stay safe and stay frosty.